All right. We are up, you guys. So solid ground live stream, January 16th already, already halfway into January, more than halfway. And it's good to see all of you today. Nice to see you. So we talked yes. about today, we wanted to talk about social media broadly and more specifically as it relates to all kinds of things. I guess it, it, it can relate to how we interact with each other, how we feel about ourselves, how we're influenced to make certain decisions. And um, so sort of get us started. Jody, you want to give us a little intro into solid ground? Yeah. So we, the four of us are facilitators. We are peer facilitators for an online peer support community. And so I'm going to read the blurb about Solid Ground. Solid Ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, that's aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, school, or community. Uh, that also your church and any number of other places where this stuff is now infiltrating. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which we share ideas, thoughts, and support as we navigate together the impact of these ideologies and we seek to answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups. It's only $5 a month. To find out how, just go to www.solidgroundsupport.com. And I just want to note here that we do not provide psychotherapy. Nothing we do should be constituted as psychotherapy or legal advice. Great. Yeah. And we've had two weeks of groups so far. Yeah. And they, they've been great. Uh, a lot of common themes. Um, in my group, we, we talked a lot about gender ideology and also the, just this question keeps circulating. I want to do something. I want to speak up but I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where. So we're, we're grappling with that kind of stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in my group. How about you guys? David and Jen, you guys having similar stuff? Yeah, I, I feel like um, knowing when to speak up is, is something that's come up in my groups as well. I think uh, people, there's, there's people who've probably seen some of this ideology at their workplace for quite a while and have been sitting kind of thinking maybe this will just pass me by and, and maybe it's gotten to a point now where they find it harder to be silent or it's more disruptive internally for them to kind of stay silent, but they're not sure how to do it. So um, it's felt really positive having having the groups available for people to be able to talk, to let some of that out and to start trying to process things. But I think there is also that sense of how can we, how can we do so in a way that, that keeps us protected? How do we navigate that? Um, I think that's different for every person. So yeah, come to the groups, guys, if you wanna if you wanna talk through some of this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of commonalities and in what people are experiencing, but then also each person's situation is unique. And so we're all trying to help each other navigate through. Yeah, it's been wonderful getting to meet some really great people, really. Um, conscientious and concerned and intelligent people and hear their stories and what what's going on in their lives with respect to these issues. Um, so I'm looking forward to continuing. Um, had a pretty good turnout 
and uh, it's been great, good conversations. My last group was kind of crazy with my internet stuff. I was, it was my moving day and uh, I almost didn't get it up in time. I was, I was sitting there with two computers and a phone and trying to get anything to just connect. <laughs> it was, it was like down to the wire, but we made it, so. But speaking of internet connect, you know, internet connection, internet <laughs> things, right? We're talking, that was one of the things, um, Jody. right before we came on, you were talking about um, Matthias Desmet's book. Uh, the, yeah. The Psychology of Totalitarianism, yes? It's called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And I, I think it's a seminal, I mean, a lot of books have been coming out in these past few years, because there's been a lot going on. But to me, as somebody who's more interested, as you all are, in the psychology and trying to figure out why do some people know this stuff is not okay, this stuff that's happening, and how do other people not kind of not know, and why do some people speak out and others don't? And his book <clears throat> talks a lot about that. And he also talks about the internet the advent of the internet <clears throat> and how that's um he actually starts with by talking about the enlightenment and science and how science the scientific method and how what a good thing that was and how that kind of morphed into scientism this <laughs> like kind of scientism we have today and how that that has contributed to the atomization of human beings mm -hmm. um in highly highly supposedly highly connected societies or hyper-connected societies via the internet um, but it's actually increased this ongoing process of atomization which has been going on for a long time and by atomization he means this disconnect mm -hmm. so we're seemingly very connected but we're actually becoming increasingly disconnected i don't think that that's necessarily a new idea but um he talks about it so brilliantly in this book because he talks about even the, the verbal stuff that goes on between a mother and an infant and how the infant um, it's not just hearing the voice of the mother and including inside the womb. It's also feeling the vibrations and your vibrations are apparently like uh, very unique, like a fingerprint, the vibrations of your voice and how the infant comes to incorporate that into their being. And that actually affects their physical development and how, um, and then, then we go from there in terms of needing to be in person to fully absorb somebody's unique vibration. It's not just your voice, it's your body language, it's the way you look, your, the way your eyes go all of this stuff is now lost um when we communicate solely through a digital portal because uh, the, those that stuff the vibrations don't transmit smells don't transmit um tone feelings all of these things like we are animals essentially and we are um cu cutting ourselves off from all of that stuff and he talks about how and then you add in now we have the woke stuff which i believe is also doing that's dividing us and cutting us down to our immutable characteristics, um, dehumanizing us. And then you have the lockdown stuff, which is, we saw this mass exodus of people out of in place, uh, in real life work spaces to being on online with each other. And that actually has stayed. A lot of places are still like a lot of doctor visits, telehealth, my doctor, like she now offers, I, I don't even have to go in anymore. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's weird. You'd think at least your doctor, but um, yeah, and we have, you know, convenience. I mean, there's just so much going on, but that that's basically what his book talks about a lot more than that, but it's an important part of it. Yeah, it's really interesting because there's, there's um, 
there's both increased connectivity and increased disconnect with these sort of things. Like right now we're sitting in a virtual room together where I can see all of your faces and we couldn't do this in, in person because of how far apart we all are geographically. And so it gives you the opportunity to connect, but it is like you say, it's a connection that's absent some fundamental aspects that, that play into the way that humans interact with one another. So, yeah. Yeah, he talks about how it's ex these Zoom meetings are exhausting actually because you're, you see somebody on the screen, but your body doesn't, your body doesn't think anyone's there because your body's not getting all the signals that it gets when there's another human present. And so it's like this exhausting thing where your logical brain is trying fighting with the, all of the rest of your body. That's interesting. It's like overcompensating. Yeah, something. Hmm. There's, but yeah, this this he he doesn't really talk about the social media stuff, and I think we we wanted to talk about that too. Yeah, David, you look like you wanted to say something. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I was, I was just thinking about myself in meetings, in Zoom meetings, in you know any any type of Zoom meeting or something, and it's it's sometimes it's that attention, isn't it? It's it's keeping your attention and working in. I don't know, working in a therapeutic way, working in a space where you're, you know, trying to be switched on to whatever, what you're, what you're witnessing, what you're communicating with and not finding it that easy to completely understand someone entirely. I think that, that, that comes across, but yet we don't really have any words for that, do we? It's almost as if we're not quite sure how to put that into words that, that somehow sometimes these interactions aren't nourishing for us. We just kind of go, well, we've done that meeting. That's another one ticked off. Um, <laughs> I've managed to, you know, reach people on another part of the planet. And yeah, you just think of the pluses and, and you wonder when we're going to find the language to be able to talk about how this doesn't nourish us completely um, in these ways. And I think, yeah, talking about going back to work, uh, go, talking about actually being back in the workplace physically with people after lockdown, that, that, that definitely resonates with me. Yeah, it really surprises me that doctors and well, I was looking at um, at for a therapy referral for someone recently and found that almost all even local counselors and therapists are only doing virtual meetings still. Yeah. And I am pretty shocked by that because I feel like that's one of those places where you gain a lot by sitting in person with someone like you, you do in, in every way, but that in that way, in particular, I feel mm -hmm. like there's something really lost when you're doing it virtually. Oh, but at yeah. the same time, I mean, if that's the only way that you can find to connect, it certainly is better than not connecting at all. Yeah. <clears throat> well, do you think that maybe as we become more you know, we have all this ability now, like if I find a mental health practitioner that I really like that lives in California and I live in Massachusetts, like, oh, I, I wouldn't have found this person otherwise. But I'm wondering if like that tends to decrease the, our chances of finding somebody local because we don't, mm. we don't really live locally anymore. So it's kind of like, we don't really have, we're not nourishing a local community. We're not creating a market for psychotherapist if the market is truly global i think it the market local markets get kind of demolished 
in more ways than one, but I think probably including this one, mm -hmm. like if a therapist is really great and they're like, oh, well, why would I live in expensive Massachusetts? I can move to Oklahoma and just have my practice there. And it's like, well, we, now I've just lost, <laughs> we've just lost a great psychotherapist. So I think, yeah, it's kind of two, two forces. Operating. You could be more specialist with it. You can say, well, I want, I want this. I want this kind of therapist that does these things, uh, has these modalities, has these specific experiences. And then you can find someone online that will fit that. But you do that exactly as you say, Jody, over, over the, over maybe being with someone who's not quite as, doesn't fit all of the preferences that you've stated, but is local, is a, is a human body that's local to you that you can actually meet up with in person. Um, yeah. What about, it reminds me of online dating kind of when you said that, like <laughs> you have all these boxes that you want to tick and it's like <clears throat> just this notion of like swiping. I don't know. Is yeah. it, right. And like, oh, you just have a quick look at somebody, a flat two-dimensional picture and you see like a bunch of blurbs and swipe, swipe, swipe. Whereas if you met them in person, you might actually like be to totally fall in love with them. Right. But like you see, this like fixed static <clears throat> presentation of them and you, and you swipe it's it's a much different experience and it feels like you you would overlook a lot of mm. things and also like even if you go out with somebody once you might think eh not really hitting, hitting it off right away I have like 10 other people in my inbox mm. on my tinder like so forget it. Whereas like, maybe if you went on a few more dates, you might actually be like, Oh, actually, I really like this person. Yeah. It's like, it changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, everything. Is... Well, sorry. including the origin point of the meeting as well, because usually we would meet people somewhat organically, right? We'd meet them through a friend or through work or through a family member. So there'd be some connection and the online dating is like these two random people who just saw pictures of one another and it's it, there's no even the origin has changed yeah. yes and all of the information that you put into tinder and that that other person put into tinder that is data that now a third party company has access to your intimate uh habits your intimate mm -hmm. dating habits who you're meeting up with and why mm -hmm. and what you look for in a partner they, this is this is the invasion of the most intimate realm, in my opinion. And I also believe sex has been infiltrated as well, like up the politicization of sexual intimacy. Mm. And um, I don't like it. Will you say more about that? That's really intriguing. Well, like these, this, somebody wrote a book at UMass about online dating and how it's racist um, to, to, to be able to like see and choose your partner somehow. And that I think they're proposing that the dates should be chosen for you. And then that's less racist. And then there are all these like student groups and sex positive groups that are pushing different, very specific sexual acts hmm. in the bedroom as being like to overthrow the patriarchy. Um, and then also you have like the labeling of sexuality, like, you know, fray sexual gray sexual demisexual like all this stuff and it's like just continuing to get into our heads and how we interact with people intimately is, is now become part of this like 
an external it's like we've outsourced it's our like intimate lives code. It, it feels like a computer code like you're trying to break it down into its little data points yeah it bothers me because it's like if that's not i tweeted about it i was like this is politi increasing politicization of our most intimate lives like we can't let them have that but we are willingly increasingly um and it's it's disturbing to me because that is the ultimate act of connection to connect with somebody in in such an intimate way and to mm -hmm. to outsource to allow that to become something that's owned by other is like the ultimate act of of surrendering our humanity yeah my opinion i'm, I'm still back with certain <laughs> certain sex acts bring down the <laughs> yeah like like certain bdsm i i yeah there's there's somebody tweeted something it was at mit there was some workshop about like and like like yeah we talked about this jen remember like oh. uh there's something about like vomiting erotic vomiting <laughs> and like, oh. yeah i'm not kidding you like all this stuff and like teaching, teaching students to like do these things because that's somehow going to be like you're going to you're going to like, what is erotic vomiting i don't am i, I going to google it after this i don't know i don't know it, oh, i don't know if i want to google that <laughs> yeah it sounds discussion at Rutgers University um something about queering intimate spaces yes and one of the things that they were going to be discussing was <laughs> erotic vomiting which I cannot think of anything less erotic than vomiting um but it's called emetophilia also oh. known as the I'm googling it right now the Roman shower is the sexual arousal from vomiting being vomiting on or watching others vomit Mm. so it's kind of like you think about golden shower oh yeah it's it's like along those lines where like body fluid like body fluids other than semen and and I don't know, vaginal lubricant all the other the other fluids get involved oh. <laughs> or you, you involve them in your sexual play but and and you know what who cares right if if people want to do that more power sure. to them, right? I, I, I'm a liberal. I, I don't care what people do in their bedroom. <laughs> but like to to happy teaching children, like or students or college students or or anybody, like to be trying to promote and 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 that too. If you want to promote that, more power to you. But when people start incorporating this into their intimate lives and and doing things not because it actually gives them pleasure and not because it actually makes them feel more connected to their mate or mates. But because they think it's going to create some kind of political revolution or because it's going to have some something, some power out here on society and culture, that is what I think is messed up. I, I, that that disturbs me. It's because now you're you're not just thinking about your own pleasure and your own intimacy with your mate. Now you're involving the whole world. You're, you're making it about the world somehow. Mm -hmm. And that is. You are shortchanging yourself when you do that and your mate. You are no longer connecting authentically. Now, now you're connecting according to some script. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. bad enough that we have to do these. We're, we're being told we have to enact these verbal scripts at work. Like I, I have white fragility and I, I am oppressing people or I am oppressed because I am black. Those scripts are bad enough. But and now you have a script dictating your intimate sexual life. Mm -hmm. Don't do it, people. Don't do it. <laughs> don't, let, don't do that. If you have to do it at work, I understand, but please don't do it in your bedroom. 
<laughs> I am not vomiting on anybody. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still waiting for the bit where it tears down the patriarchy, but does that- <laughs> should I try it? Should I try it first and then then report back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, try it. Oh my gosh. Try it and see what happens, David. See how you feel. <laughs> Well, let's check in with the, the chat here. There's a bunch of bunch of posts in here. Hi, CNY photo video. Hi, Jen Bottle. Hi, Matthew Bowser. And hello, a silly pet rat. That's a cute name. Um, Marby Dog says, family, friends, and community, we need all three. Chris Freestone, my father-in-law passed away today. My wife is livid, coerced. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry, Chris. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. Um, Jen Bottle says, I have no academic background, but I believe I read what I need to, I read what I need to in Sir Roger Scruton's Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands. I'm not familiar with that, but thank you for the recommendation. Uh, A Silly Pet Rat says, on social media, you can have a lot of friends or followers, but no one really talks to one another anymore or has a conversation. We subscribe to scroll in isolation and only engage with ourselves. And CNY photo video says, yes, virtual meetings with no discount, the cost should be lower. Yeah, it makes sense that overhead is lower. Um, Chris Freestone, I like the KISS principle, pure blood dating sites. Um, uh, The Silly Pet Rat recommends something called Unjected. And and, uh, CNY photo video says, yes, dating tips from academia and government, what could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh is it is it bill bob seven six two four says bangs are beautiful so i guess me and you jennifer we got bangs going on (laughs) thank you bill bob and i think hats are beautiful too oh yes your bangs are very nice david yeah (laughs) so thank you guys for engaging in there yeah, what could go wrong? Academia and government telling you how to date. Like you said, Jody, it's uh, this prescriptive sort of, um, it, it, it feels like, you know, when they started to talk about those, those consent rules where you have to ask consent before each thing, that was another part of that. And that makes sense in a way. It really does make sense to make sure, keep checking in, make sure that you're on the same page with someone, but it felt very stilted when you're mm-hmm. hearing the way that they were scripting these things for, for young college students. Removes all the surprise and spontaneity, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes, makes you less likely to even want to have sex, right? Mm-hmm. And think mm-hmm. about the parallels here of we're going to tell you how to have sex and we're also going to tell you what to put in your body. You can put mm-hmm. this vaccine in your body. This is like a total invasion into, if you think of the, the final boundary, mm-hmm like well woke i think is about getting into our our heads and um the vaccines and now the sex intrusive intrusive sex scripts our, our bodies so mm-hmm. like we're becoming totally owned in a way i mean not literally owned well maybe that too um by the state this is like statism to the final realm i mean it's it's very disturbing you know, it kind of reminds me of Brave New World, which I haven't read in a while. <laughs> Maybe it's time to read it again. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. And on the topic of, of social media, you know, it, it's 
there it's not just the the fact that it changes the way that we're interacting with one another but it also changes the way that we see ourselves sorry guys it's cute tom um i was i i was telling jennifer about this that when i was in graduate school, we had to do lots of recordings of sessions. It was like a, a client session. You would record it and then you'd transcribe it and turn the recording in for instructor feedback. And because I'm not somebody who does a lot of social media, I'm not, I don't, I always have nail polish over the selfie camera on my phone because I don't want it taking pictures of my face or watching me watch things. Um, so I'm not. I'm not accustomed to really looking at myself very often, except when I'm in the restroom or, you know, getting ready for the day. So playing these videos back for myself really stressed me out and made me very self-conscious. It was, it made me aware of my appearance in ways that I wasn't really aware of, or wasn't really conscious of and thinking about. And I thought, I am so glad that I'm not a teenage girl right now in social media land. I'm glad that we didn't have this when I was a kid. I would have been so stressed out of every, about every perceived imperfection and flaw. And how hyper self-conscious this stuff must make young people because it makes me hyper self-conscious, you know? And I'm I'm not at that age anymore. I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I have a thought. I mean, and maybe a little bit of a devil's advocate um, in terms of how you look. As a musician, when I first started recording, I, I, it was very hard for me to hear the sound of my voice because <laughs> it sounds very different to other people. It sounds very different when you're hearing it recorded. Um, and I think that that's just, if you're going to be a public person, which you are, Leslie, that you will come to know, recognize, know, and love yourself on the screen. <laughs> well, I'm getting used to it now. This is fine. And I've, I've gotten over that, that initial shock of it. But, at, you know, I was in my early 40s and I was first seeing like a lot of pictures and, and videos. And it was, I felt like that was difficult. And I, I guess, um, I guess my, my, my first thought about that was, wow, I can only imagine the impact that this is having on people who do this all the time. Because I was not somebody who was used to doing that. I didn't do like the Snapchats and the, I had long since given up my Instagram and Facebook accounts. So it was sort of this new exposure to watching myself. And I thought, this doesn't feel like a healthy thing for us to be engaging in. I don't want to be going about my day thinking about how I look. I don't want to be worried about that. I want to be thinking about what I'm looking at, not how people are. Yeah. And Imagine going to a party now, these kids, like any moment at a party, which is supposed to be fun and spontaneous, like they, them being aware that anything they do is can and will be captured on somebody's phone and distributed to the world. Remember, remember parties before cell phones? how much fun they were like <laughs> do you wait do you guys remember it was just me old Jen you remember go to party like you didn't worry like that anything you did could be captured and, and distributed to the entire planet right it must be really really hard for kids now mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point and with the filters and stuff make people look not like way different than they actually are mm -hmm. 
Yeah, David, you're a bit younger than us. What do you what do you think about all this? Uh, I was listening to you talking about what that feeling that of 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 not identifying with that voice when it's recorded outside, and it's, it's got, I, it, my first thought was that, that that feels like that's what happens when you hear your voice from where you are. It's almost like you can hear. I don't know, the reverberation of your, you know, your voice within your body sounds different to when it's recorded else, elsewhere. But there's there's a way in which you get used to that sort of disembodied voice, isn't there, eventually. But like just as you were talking there, Leslie, about the fact that we can play so much around with our presentation these days with Snapchat and filters and things like that. You 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 never learn to become used to sort of things. You're never able to... I was just thinking about connecting with you know, with, with yourself, you're, you're constantly aware of presenting yourself in a certain way. I, I mean, I can't, I can't actually claim that I do a lot of Snapchatting myself or um, social media, but um, yeah, I do know people, friends of friends of mine have got young nieces and nephews who spend all their time on TikTok and um, so little time <laughs> actually interacting with people physically <laughs> in a room. <laughs> um and so concerned with how they look all the time because any minute now they might put their phone down even if you're in an airport waiting room and start dancing in front of it and how weird that looks for everyone in the airport waiting room what are those people doing those five-year-olds doing over there they're dancing around to some phone that they've got now on the floor um because their world their focus is constantly on how people are going to think about them on this yeah this app they have on their little device (laughs) <laughs> try not to be too pessimistic about it <laughs> what do you it seems think? like breeding, it seems like it's breeding narcissism you know where everybody's yeah. sort of like the model in their own magazine now mm-hmm. it just yeah it seems really unhealthy and I'm very glad it didn't exist when I was a teenager because I would have fallen for it hook line and sinker and really <laughs> become obsessed I think mm-hmm. I also think that the um I've noticed this with my own attention span. It's really decreased Mm -hmm. of watching something like a movie or a series. And there's a single moment of boredom. I grab my cell phone and start scrolling. I've noticed, which is a horrible habit. And I think we're kind of training ourselves to have attention deficit disorder. Like you have to have maximum stimulation at all times or else you're bored. So then you pick up yet another device. And I continuously stop myself from doing that. But I know if I just let myself go and wasn't conscientious about it at all, I would just have, you know, my iPad going with one thing, my my phone with another, and it's absolutely terrible for the brain. Jenna, I've been thinking of that the same. I was talking to a friend about this recently. The, 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 The kind of like level of boredom we can't tolerate anymore. We can't tolerate any of it, can we? And, and, who knows what might be on the end of that? I don't know. Minute of boredom, five minutes of boredom that then goes. Let's go and do something productive in my day, or or let's, or you come up with an idea, or you've allowed your brain enough space to to do something else. I don't know what we might be missing out on because I'm the same. I need to be. I'll take my phone everywhere. If I've got to do the dishes, put a podcast on. If I'm even going to the loo, I'll just think I'll put something on. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> No headspace. I think that's almost analogous to the thing that um, that Jody was talking about with um, finding a finding your perfect therapist or match online instead of looking in your own area. I mean, it's just like the resources that you because you can find something really quick. 
you don't take the time to find something else. What else are you missing? And so it's the same thing when you divert your attention and, and avoid boredom at all costs, what creativity could have come yeah. from that space of boredom or what other thing? It's like these, these sort of almost market forces and personal forces that we are not allowing to unfold. Yeah, it really um, chips away at mindfulness, which is pretty critical to, I think, to a lot of the things that we want to do, both creatively in terms of connecting with each other, being mindful, the ability to listen, the ability to pay attention for longer than 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seeing like national days of no phone or like no no internet no phone maybe a whole week or something you know just see you'd the you know, withdrawals you'd go through withdrawals i th- mm. i would think i know uh somebody who owns an outdoor adventure education company and he takes kids out camping you know for like a week and the first two days are really rough for these kids like then they're and you're not they're not allowed to bring devices and they they literally go through they get grumpy and crabby and but then after once they get through that hump they're they're okay and they're really happy and they don't want to leave but yeah i think it's we're talking about addiction for sure what jen was talking about like (laughs) dopamine yeah Mm -hmm. Mm a couple of comments here a silly pet rat says, when I worked from home, I was in a, I was in Zoom meetings for eight plus hours a day. So I was looking at myself all the time. Pre-COVID, we never had to look at ourselves that much. It made me really self-conscious. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that's that's been my experience with it. It's it's it was a strange thing to get used to seeing yourself when you're looking at someone else. It's kind of like another yeah. layer, like we're talking about the the weirdness of meeting via Zoom or meeting online. I think that usually when you're sitting in a room with someone, your full attention is on that person. And like you said, there's other aspects of attention. There's, you know, vibration, uh, scent, there's, you know, personal space that a person's taking up, but also the fact that you can see yourself right next to them is a really strange feature of this online communication. Yeah. And I, I wonder even if like also for neuro atypical people, you know, it's hard enough you're neurotypical, but for somebody who's not neurotypical, like we don't even know what the, what the impact of that is. Just thinking about all of the things the woke never talk about. Mm. Yeah, That's another story. <laughs> Lisa Lewis says, previously we were able to reflect on ourselves. Now we're trying to present ourselves to others. Hmm. Yeah, that's the the energy coming in here. Like, how do we look to other people instead of like what you said, Leslie, instead of being able to see, you're just looking at yourself all the time through the eyes of other people instead of actually seeing them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes you more focused on the surface. Mm-hmm. And I just, I saw this other comment pop up. Nancy Baumgartner says, I have actually given some clients homework to be bored and allow it to go with it and practice it daily. So the ability strengthens. It's been a very good intervention for some. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. 
I like that. Yeah, I've definitely struggled with phone addiction as well. Mm-hmm. Picking it up too frequently, not letting myself be bored, putting on a podcast while I'm doing things instead of just thinking or letting my mind be blank. Yeah. Yeah. You can practice a boring moment here on the solid ground live stream. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be something really good and creative afterwards though. (laughs) Okay, David, you said it. So it's your job. Quick, I'll just Google something. (laughs) (laughs) How about some erotic vomiting? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, David. Get that finger down that throat. That's the patriarchy. Oh gosh. Well, I think does that feel like a good spot to leave it, or does anybody want to bring one more thing up? We can leave it with erotic vomiting. Yeah, I'm really turned on now. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> or I could stay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a good conversation. I don't know where I expected it to go, but that wasn't quite where, but it was good. There's never any time unscripted. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if y'all out there want to connect with us, please do join the locals and show up at the groups. They're really good. Lots of good yeah, people in there. Solidgroundsupport.com. That'll tell you how to get to the locals. It's easier okay. than just Yeah, there the you go. Good. Like she said, and (laughs) we'll see you in the groups and we'll see 